guys, and welcome back to the Siding Lab podcast, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. Today, we are going to talk about rider academies, and we have a question we might want to discuss, like, as the first part. Um, do rider academies facilitate a young talent's chances to move up to MotoGP, or are they limiting their opportunities? What do you guys think? Oh, awesome. Okay. I thought it was an open question to the people who are listening to it. Um, sorry. I, it's a question for everyone. Yeah. I yeah, think, but we're going to have to list, like to hear about yeah. our listeners yeah. in the comments. Uh, I do think sometimes it's a bit of a double-edged sword where yeah. you see it working out for some riders and others, it doesn't at all. I think it's mainly if you're in a riders academy, which is really good and you're well integrated in that, that you might get a bit more chances or a bit more time to adapt to your, to the bike, to the team, to the class, which would probably not be given if you were a standalone rider. But yeah, other riders, we've seen it and we will talk more than enough later on about it where you're moving up and you're getting so much support in the lower classes. And then once you're in MotoGP, it's just not working and you're just cut off immediately. Yeah, and I think in good and in bad, they're very different than what Formula One driver academies are because I feel like in F1, they offer a lot more support to get into like the highest class, whereas in... Um, MotoGP because there aren't as many academies and they're very different in structure I feel like it's more of a constructors constructors thing if that makes sense to anyone um it's definitely like there's two sides to that argument like the the pros are that you get the support that they wouldn't usually have and the expertise that they won't have yet in their career um but as Alex said they can go wrong so yeah it's difficult to answer the question really I don't think that there's really a right or wrong answer to it I think it always depends on the academy and on the rider themselves doesn't it yeah I mean, coming back to what Aino said about the F1 comparison, it's a really good comparison because you can see that they are working differently in both sports. Um, in MotoGP you, or Moto2 and Moto3, you see more people moving out of that academy, whereas in Formula 1, they are very strict about it. I mean, okay, we do have the Piastri situation at the moment, <laughs> but other than that, most of the drivers stay in their teams in the same like under the same constructor or whatever and it is a bit I think riders have a bit more freedom of choosing their contracts once they're moving up than Formula 1 drivers which I am neither a Formula 1 driver nor a MotoGP rider so I don't know about contracts that well like that much but I feel like it yeah, and I also feel like, knock on wood, but I feel like in MotoGP, it's more guaranteed that if you're in an academy, 
you'll get a seat somewhere in MotoGP because it's kind of like also to other teams. It's like a sign of, oh, they trust him and they like him. So obviously he can't be bad. Whereas in F1, I feel like it's very competitive in almost a negative way. No slander to F1. I love it and I love watching it. But I feel like MotoGP kind of offers sometimes more chances to younger riders than F1. Yeah, and I also think, like, I don't, this might sound a bit weird, but I feel like in F1, the academies are more like a talent pipeline for the teams. And in MotoGP, like, if you look at the VR46 one, I feel like it's more a support system for the rider because they are not exclusively tied to teams. So... I feel like the approach is very, very different. I think we should just move on to the biggest academy or the most maybe academy-like, yeah, academy-like academy. <laughs> yeah, obviously, first up, we have the, the R46 Academy. And I th- it was founded in 2013 um, in the memory of Marco Simoncelli, who was kind of the first non-official member of the academy that Vale really worked with and mentored and then after that um, Morbidelli was the first official writer to join the team and he had like in his young years look look how old he is currently (laughs) Um, but when he was younger his family moved to Tawia um to train with Rossi specifically and later he got that opportunity to ride with him in the academy. Thinking about Morbidelli I think it's really difficult to to say if or like to speculate about his contract he got a pretty long contract after or during he came runner-up in a MotoGP season so of course he deserved it at the moment it's a bit more difficult for yeah him, i think but... it's it's just due to the injury he had like yeah. i don't think he would have been in the situation he's in now hadn't he had the injury yeah. you know what i mean yeah. i think it's, it's always like stuff that happens you don't have any control over so it's a difficult situation to judge in my opinion i yeah, also, you can't say he got a MotoGP seat just because he was in the academy. I mean, he is a Moto2 champion. It was because of his talent. It was because he has the abilities to move up to MotoGP and not he just really because good. he was... Yeah, and I do believe that the talent is still there. He's just struggling at the moment. But to be fair, also Yamaha is a difficult situation in general for every yeah. rider. So yeah. I think... Morbidelli is such a peculiar case to talk about when you're trying to talk about rider academies. Um, That's, especially right now, I think, of course, it was, I would say, not necessarily easier for him during his career, but it was definitely uh, helpful to have such a big support system and to know that one of the biggest MotoGP riders who has ever lived 
supports you and wants to help you succeed. That must be an incredible confidence boost. I think that's probably the biggest point about the VR46 one. Rossi has such a big, big influence on MotoGP in general. Like He's a household name. And I think that when your name is connected to his, there's already more doors opening for you than maybe if it weren't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean this in like a nepotism kind of way, but I think, I mean, you obviously need to bring the talent. You you can't get around that. But I think having the support of Valentino Rossi is definitely a major plus, like a major advantage. I mean, it can't do any harm either. So yeah, <laughs> I'd have to agree with you on that one. And um, the only thing is, especially with the VR46 Academy, it's you kind of always stand in the shadow of Valentino Rossi. It's you yeah, will always, bit. I mean, on one side, it's very helpful to have that link and to have your name attached to a multiple world champion. But at the same time, you will always be linked to that name. Yeah, as well, his teammate, um, not exactly got the easiest teammate, Fabio. There's a lot of pressure as well from that, but it, it's so difficult to judge his especially his MotoGP career because of the injury different question do you think that if Morbidelli's performance will continue the way it is right now over the next season for 2024 do you think he might get a VR46 seed if Bess moves somewhere else or Luca would go somewhere else that he that Morbidelli would just move to Ducati then because of the Valor link? I mean, from... I don't know. A, um, from a team's perspective, um, he is struggling, and that's not his fault at all. He is still struggling because, um, from his, because of his knee. And, I mean, I, I could... Yeah, I think I could see him maybe going there because he does have the link, but, yeah... As a team's perspective, do you want to bring in someone potentially that's going to continue to struggle? It's heartbreaking because obviously he can't control it and um, he can't not struggle because of it. Um, so it's out of his control now. I but yeah, it- you've got to think, do they want to bring him in? On the other side, I think it would be interesting to see him ride on a Ducati because it is a completely different bike. It it requires a completely different riding style. And at the moment, you can't just see that. The way the Yamaha is built and with his previous injury, he's not able to ride that Yamaha bike the way he needs to. So maybe it would be a good switch for him because we know that he's a good rider. But will he get the opportunity that's another question. I think it's not as much about, oh, is he going to keep writing poorly or whatever. It's more of a question of, do they have space for him? Because obviously, yeah. 
Vietti had an amazing start to his season and there's a lot of like young talent that Vale has coming up that like does he have space for it and then we could also argue will he shield his brother more than anyone and I'm not saying he will or won't or if it's right or wrong or whatever like that's we'll never know obviously but there's a lot of questions just like do we have space for him what will happen with pretty much like everyone and Valet also have has like obviously strong links to Yamaha with how he rode there and for how long he rode there so I wouldn't say he it's only like he can affect the Ducatis I think in general any team boss would like appreciate if he'd like give them advice or be like hey I think you should keep this guy maybe take it with a grain of salt if it's one of his riders but like I think Yamaha like will maybe listen to him I don't think that Yamaha will keep Morbidelli if his performance continues the way it is at the moment I don't think that they will keep him because they have also to think about Starting from next season, they will only have one team left. They don't. They only have two riders. They don't have the satellite riders who could take some points away for the constructors on the bad weekends for the factory team. So it is a situation where they really have to be a bit more cutthroat with the choice yeah. of their riders. And I don't think that he will fit into that then anymore. No, but if the question is they won't keep him, who will they take? Darren, I don't think so. Like, I don't think they'll take him either. But yeah, I think I think for damage control, they'd keep him at least. That sounded bad, but like at least for damage control, I'd rather have him than Darren. Oh, but apparently Darren is going back to Moto2. Really? Well, yeah, I've read it and he said, Darren said himself that he doesn't count on having a MotoGP seat anymore. And I think it would be a very interesting career for him to be Moto3, MotoGP, Moto2. Yeah, but like he was so much better than anybody expected. I mean... Yeah, he probably still hasn't reached the standard they're looking for, so I get the move. I I don't like this year's riders market just messes with my head. I think we're going a bit too much off topic at the moment, (laughs) and we need to go back to rider academies. And I also think we should move on to the next. Can I just add a really sort of interesting point? It could be completely irrelevant, but right. I can't say his name because I'm British. Uche, would say Uche. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know how to how to pronounce Italian either. Ukio. Uche. Is is it Ukio though? Because I think they say the C's as K's. That could be. Um. We all know who we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So this may not be the case now, but I know I read that especially when uh, VR46 Academy started, that he was sort of um, managing the communication, like with talking to the teams. And then I was also reading that 
um, while Valet was with Yamaha, there was some problems that he, um, Ukio was being like on almost like too like dominant in a way, as in like he was taking charge too much. And this is obviously all speculation because we've, we're not inside that garage. We don't actually know what's going on. So I just I was thinking if Yamaha are not on the best terms with Ukio and he's the one who's sort of leading these negotiations with the teams and talking to the teams, is that going to have an effect? That's very interesting to hear. Uh, I haven't heard of that one before, but it's definitely something that, if it's true, that it might have a considerable influence on team decisions. There's like so yeah. much stuff going on behind the scenes where we don't even we don't even yeah. know about. So this is all just speculation at this yeah. point. <laughs> This is an episode where you have to say before every sentence, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, like, (laughs) guys, don't take, like, take everything you say here with a grain of salt, because we're not in the paddock, so we don't know what's going on. It's it's just opinions. Should we move on to other writers? Yeah. Forty six. Um. So yeah, I think the arguably most famous VR46 rider at the moment is Peko Banyaya. He's been with, well, he's been very good friends and also in the Riders at Academy for quite some time. And he also raced for a couple of his uh, teams in the lower classes in Moto3 and Moto2 during 2014 and 2017 and 2018. So I think he was a very good addition to the Riders Academy because he completely embodies what Vala's vision is with the Riders Academy. And of course, the also the results are there. He's a Moto 2 champion. He was he's now for a second year in a row a title contender. Last year he was runner-up. And I do think that he is the perfect fit for this. Riders Academy, uh, you can you. I mean, you know, both them are good friends. Also, we know about the text where Vale asked Peko about the tire choices, why he made or he didn't listen to him, which was really interesting to know. But also, you know, they have this incredibly good friendship. They have the Italian connection, and yeah, I think it. He really made a good choice seeing his talent so early and just nurturing that. Yeah, I think it works pretty well for both of them. Like, it works both ways. Mm-hmm. I think the Academy has been very, very good for Peko's development. Um, but also, like, as you said, Peko's talent and the work he puts in fits right into the Academy itself. And, I mean, who wouldn't want the expertise and like experience of Valentino Rossi on his side like just having texts where he goes like oh you should pick those tires um they're not listen to it and yeah yeah, you can always choose to ignore the advice 
but you have the advice so mm-hmm. you can choose what you want to do with it um yeah i think they are perfect match to be honest i'm not listening to valentino rossi which Peko also found out is a very bad decision because yeah. he also has this over two decades of experience behind him and he knows the, he knows every bike he knows how to ride and he knows every track he knows the conditions and yes i mean who else would you rather listen to than valentino rossi to be honest the one thing that they all have the italian connection that yeah. that's what i had to say I think Pecco really proves how successful a driver a rider academy can be. <laughs> um, but I had an interesting question and it could come off the wrong way. I love Valet, but how much of it is down to being part of the academy? Like, it's interesting. How far would he have gotten without them? Do you see what I mean? I think he would have made his way up to MotoGP, but I, it's a tricky question because the VR46 Academy, it really, it's a different uh, feeling uh, for the riders. Like, I don't really know how to explain it, but it's such a family-oriented uh, environment for them. They have the time and the support to really develop to their fullest potential and that's something which is really helpful for them especially at a young age to have the mental support of other riders of other oh okay i agree with that sorry i wasn't sure if you just wanted to say something i was just pointing it at it i was like yeah you go because that was the point i wanted to make as well but finish your finish your thoughts please at the same time with peko we've seen him it's difficult to say if if it was just tiny mistakes that ended for him to crash out or if it was the mental pressure that he had on him over the last two seasons where he just had unnecessary dnfs like crashes during races isn't he one of the very few riders who don't have a mental coach that's very well possible i think it is but I, i think i've heard about that somewhere but what i wanted to say like I think he would have made his way into MotoGP, definitely. I don't have any doubt about that because he's very, very talented. But what the academy offers is a lot, like it's a support system, essentially. And I think going into MotoGP with that support system behind you um, is probably a lot easier mentally than doing it all by yourself. Yeah, because you can always see them like oh like buddy buddy with like yeah. especially like Basecki and Marini and Bagnaya, like they will spend time with each other even on track, even though they are quote unquote rivals. Yeah. Um, they're not exactly racing in the same pack right now, but still like they're rivals and they will spend time with each other more than with others and stuff like that. I think it just helps. Yeah. I also think that once you moved up to MotoGP, you don't necessarily need to 
academia academy anymore it's more like you graduated and you still yeah. like to visit again but it's more to support the lower classes to really have an opportunity to move up and that's something that is incredibly helpful and also great to see because it in my opinion we see way too no or not enough writers move up to the classes yeah, um, I think they're just not enough seats. Yeah. <laughs> like I think like moving on to the next one is someone who knows Valentino Rossi very well because it's his half brother, Luca Marini, a, of course. That's just a no-brainer. Like yeah. Marini just has to be there. Yeah. I mean Lauren and I did have a lot of fights over this. Oh, I remember. Most of them are were really unnecessary. Uh, it was just for the sake of us two fighting each other. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did have, I wouldn't say an underwhelming rookie outing last year in MotoGP. It was just okay compared to uh, Jorge Martin and Inea Bastianini, how they just outshined everyone else. And yeah, but this season he's been doing so good and you can really see that it was the right move for him. Um, of course, there will always be rumors about is he only there because of Valentino Rossi and his family connections, but I feel like he has backed his talent enough now that you can see his seed is deserved. Yeah, I think those speculations or those like accusations always come with the name. Like he'll never be able to fully escape them. I think he it's just like a matter of proving that he's worthy of the seat. And I think he is like he might need a couple more years to reach his full potential. Um, yeah, but he's but definitely there. Yeah. But like Jules said, like that's something you can never escape. Like you see it with even the Marquez brothers, like there, yeah, there's people always talking about like, oh, is Alex there only because of Marcus? Alex good enough, da, 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 whatever. And um another, I think almost a funny comparison is um okay, my internet is really cutting out, but another I think a funny comparison is in even though Jack is in F2, I still see people comparing him to his dad, McDoohan. And it's like mm. that's a completely different sport we're talking about now, but he still can't ex like escape the like, oh, are you as good as your dad? Like, well, make didn't exactly mm. race in cars, but like it's just something that comes with the name. And I think uh Marini has like dealt with it well like he hasn't really at least shown that it affects him and like Annick said um compared to last year he's done really well this year and I think it's just a matter of time and getting used to that like different bikes and getting that confidence and obviously now when he's in the VR46 team and his teammate is obviously very familiar to him and all this stuff I think the support is different and probably better as well so he can work on his writing style and confidence in a more calm environment yeah I was sort of a little bit could you say what's the word 
I wasn't sure about Luca at first. I was like, hmm. And then this season, I think he's completely proven that he deserves to be there. Yeah, this season has proved that he should be there. He's performing quite well, you know. And I think it's nice to see that, like, brotherly support between them. Yeah, the support is something that's, like, pretty important, I guess. And, yeah. I also believe that it's, with Rini, it's a bit of a, like, special case because he's not really viewed as the academy writer, but always to the family ties. I That is... Yeah. Very true. So I also believe that no matter if he was in the academy or not, he would have this um, connection anyway. Uh, well, if we talk about Luca Marini, we also have to talk about Marco Bizecchi, his teammate, of course, all this year, <laughs> also for next year. And um, he actually talked to uh, um, to the interviewers about his ties to the VR46 Academy and how it helped him. And he said that it's a huge um, pro advantage. Yeah, advantage for him because he said it is so much easier if you know these people that you have to work with and you just become so close that you can just like there's this understanding without words and they just get along very well. Um, and of course, once you move up to a new team, you do have, or you move up to a new class, you do get into a new team and often you don't know the people that well. So this is really helpful if you have this uh, already, this uh, relationships to all the higher ups. Yeah, that's definitely a big advantage, I think. He's completely right with that because if you know the people you work with um, or the people you talk to on a regular basis about your job, um, it will be much easier to find solutions to problems, I think, because things just come more naturally. Um, So... I think that's what we've been talking about the entire episode. Just knowing the people is like worth so, so much. And I think this quote just proves it. It's also, I think Bezeki is a good example for a writer where the Academy really helped his career because I believe he, he was always a good writer, but I don't think that he might have moved up to MotoGP this year and you could see it really worked out for him. I mean, he has the podium in his rookie season on the satellite bike. What more could you ask for of him? And I, yeah, I do believe that for him, the Academy was a catalyst for his career. Yeah, I think you could say that. I mean, it's so nice to have a teammate that you've known and that you get along with. Um, I think that, especially with Marini, like the fact that his performance has improved, I would say that working with someone like Bezeki that he knows and that he's, you know, he gets along with, 
that it it's the best way to be I would say because that's how you can grow more instead of having this you know this awful tension in the garage and some or something like that it, it's nice that they can support each other yeah um so I think the big rising star of the VR46 Academy I mean we've talked about how Banyaya is basically the big name in MotoGP right now but in the pipeline of the VR46 um, Academy we do have Celestino Vietti who's also the saving grace of my Moto2 fantasy oh yeah he is shut up (laughs) yet you're still behind (laughs) I'm salty about that one y'all have no sorry Anik has two consistent writers I have sorry this is slander I have one that did well and the other just constantly crashes but I don't have the energy to change him mine did well currently he didn't yeah um however um Vieti has been a VR46 rider um since the start of his um motorcycling career in 2018 well it's not the start of his career obviously but like in the classes we know um and he's currently third in the moto 2 standing so i think that's a win uh for the vr46 academy the ties were there before he even started in moto 3 of course in 2018 I, I, wait, is this right? I don't think th- this can't be right. He can't... Or is it? I have no idea. It's just on the notes. I just th- got yeah. so flabbergasted about the fact that he is not first in the standings or second in the standings anymore that I have to check that. Oh, it is. Uh, it is. Well, okay. I I, I know it's true, there, but I, I just got like punched, no. sucker punched in the face. No, I just thought he was uh, in the categories for way longer. I have missed so much. He's pretty young. Like, I think 2018. That's been four years. It's been four years. He's a Moto 2. I think it's fair. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, most of the people have spent their fair share of time in in Moto 2 and Moto 3 before there is even talks about them moving up to Moto GP. So it is. his career was quite on a fast lane <laughs> upwards, which is great to see, of course. Um, yeah, but I, is it the fast lane because of the academy? I uh, probably, I think maybe a, <laughs> it's difficult to say. I mean, you have talent and you have. Oh, sorry, Chloe, did you want to say something? Um. Well, I mean, he did decently in Moto3 he did well but I wouldn't say it I'm not blown away to the point where he would get a Moto2 seat two wins eight podiums one pole it it's good but I'm not you know so it's just like if you don't have the championship you should stay down no, but I do think that the Academy might have helped him to move up to Moto2 faster. But at the same time, he's proven himself. So I don't think that's 
like the reason why there has been talks going on about him moving up to MotoGP, I think he would would he deserve it oh i think he would deserve it but at the same time i do believe that he would also do very well with another year of experience in moto too since he doesn't have the 10 years of experience or whatever yet um what i think is really interesting uh or what would be really interesting to see is uh, to see him go to another team maybe I know it's the a weird acceptable one. Acceptable answer I will take from that is KTM Ayo. Oh no, um, not in Moto but Two, just... but in Moto GP. For I don't see that. I'm oh, sorry. I I see him moving more in like in Moto Two than he would in Moto GP. But... I don't know. But I mean, that's the point of uh, are you limited in your options? Because especially the VR46 Academy, they are so closely tied together because they are friends, because they are like family. So it's really hard to leave to get another opportunity. And I think that's more of a personal decision than a team decision where a team might approach you. But it, I think it would be really interesting to see one of them move to a completely different team that isn't really tied to the to Valentino Rossi. Yeah, um, what Chloe mentioned before um, about moving up to Moto2, I think it's reasonable. I think riders with lower qualifications move up all the time, and I think he did well with Basecki last year. Obviously, it was a very competitive field. You look at how Rami and Raul finished the season, but... Um, I think he did well. I think he learned a lot from Basecki because obviously he's a very talented writer as well. But um, I think when we did our episode with um, Everything Motor Racing, Declan brought up a good point and said that he doesn't really think that any of the writers are currently like not as much even writing style, but mentally ready for MotoGP. And I think that's something we can like look at because like we also said, uh, Vietti hasn't had as much time in the classes. He, he's very young. And I'm not saying that that's in like an issue going up the classes. There's always young writers that do well or don't do well. But I think that's something to take into consideration. Maybe. Well, um, since... Things are going really well on one side of the VR46 Moto2 team. Uh, on the other side of the box, it is a bit more difficult. I mean, if we're talking about Nicolo Antonelli, he's been an academy rider since 2014. And he's just like, this isn't, he's a rookie in Moto2 and his season is rough. I think it's difficult also to say... Um, if he deserves this opportunity on it. I think he deserves to try uh, Moto, to see how Moto2 would work out for him. But at the same time, it's really, really bad. But he's only a rookie, so he should be given more time. But the season is really, really bad for him at the moment. But I also think uh, this is just from Bessam. I think he's older than Vietti, right? I have the uh, he yeah. gives up a bit of like older vibe, so like 
it sounds ruthless and who am I to say to someone that they don't they shouldn't be doing this and that like I have done nothing <laughs> um, yeah but Antonelli I is think, 26 yeah like he's 26 he I think he was in Mother 3 for quite a long time and obviously everyone doesn't adapt to the bike as quickly as others but I think it's like I expected more from him type of way Another rider I did kind of expect more from is Andrea Migno. I don't oh, know if we definitely. agree on that. Yeah. Um, he had his Moto3 debut in 2013. And according to our notes, he never finished a season higher than ninth in the standings. So... Well, he, he made his Moto3 debut in 2013, but the first season he raced... The, for the entire season was uh, 2015, which is still seven years ago. And yeah. spending seven years in the Moto3 class, which is supposed to help talents move up or prepare, yourself. you have to prepare yourself to maybe move to super sport, super bikes, uh, Moto America, or wherever your path is taking you. I do believe that having the ties to Valentino Rossi helped him stay longer in Moto3 than other people might have gotten. I feel so mean, like, just saying that. Yeah, because... but looking at it also out of a team perspective, I mean, you, you don't always need someone who is winning the championships, but you need someone who is consistently in the points and consist especially with the experience he has there should be yeah. more and i mean i think he is still a good rider but at the same time there are young and upcoming people every single year that are joining moto 3 and you can see them move either forward or move somewhere else where he has been stagnant in his career for almost a decade now which is a long time to be in especially moto 3 yeah. Um, I'd say let's just like speed run to through the rest um, of the VR46 because we also want to talk about KDM and this episode is already so long. Um, do you want to talk about Sura? Oh, uh, Alberto Sura, I do feel kind of bad for him because he. It's his rookie season this year in Moto3. He did have his injuries and very horrifying crashes. And once this episode drops uh, three days ago then, by then, um, he announced that he won't be a part of the VR46 Academy anymore. He's been the first one who was added since the year where Foggia, Baldessari, Bulega, uh, yeah, and Bulega left. So... And yeah, he was he only spent one year with the VR46 Academy and apparently it was a trial year, a trial phase to see if he fits in or not. And of course, most of the most of the other guys that are in the academy have been there from the start, which means 2013, 2014, 2015. They do have the bond, they do have the they know each other really well. And yeah, it's Right now, we... go on. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, right no, now all- we don't know yet if like the exact reasons why he left, but um, Valentin Rossi made a statement of if he takes someone on into his academy, it has to be the perfect fit in every single aspect. And yes, apparently something didn't click. That's the thing I want to know the most. Like I want to know if it was the academy's decision, if it was Sura's decision, or if it was like a mutual agreement that this just wouldn't work. Um, that's something I'd love to know. Um, then we have two more members that are not officially members of the VR46 Academy. However, um, they are VR46 Master Camp riders and they are not Italian. The only ones that are not Italian, um, Gonzalez and Kubo. Do we want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think I'm surprised that they are not part of the official academy, yet they still ride for a team that is owned by Valentino Rossi. I think it's an interesting dynamic, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's Vala took the route of, and I think it says it somewhere in his website, but his route has always been give opportunities to Italian writers who might have not have it otherwise and stuff like that. So I think had they been Italian, they would be on the actual like academy. But since they aren't, he kind of like keeps them close to him and wants to help them. But that's why they aren't on the team because I think it says somewhere that the VR46 is like for Italian writers. Yeah. I could just be making that up, but I feel like I read it somewhere. I mean, looking Don't at me on that. looking at their lineup, it kind of looks like it. So. Yeah, um, it wouldn't um, be too far fetched. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think we can. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but in generally speaking, compared to a lot of other academies either in MotoGP or in F1 or in any category I feel like VR46 is a very family-oriented team and I will forever be thinking about the helmet tributes they did to Mm. Vale at the end of last year and that was just the cutest thing ever and I think that just kind of shows how close they are and how much they respect Vale and all of this and they it seems like they're almost like brothers to each other. Definitely. Seeing last year, seeing uh, Bezecchi and Marini ride the Grazia Valle bikes in Misano Live, seeing them celebrating together at his last home race, you could have just seen how emotional it was for every single one of them and how much Valle means to every single one of them because. They have so much to be thankful for for him. And that's not just only giving him the, the, the career opportunities to get a contract in a team, but it's also really the mental support, the experience, the knowledge that this man has. And yeah, I mean, if I would have, if I was a rider and I would have had to join a Riders Academy, this one would be the one where I wanted to be, even though I'm not Italian. Yeah, that's the problem. We're not Italian. Um, 
here I'd like to close the book of the VR46 Academy for this podcast and talk a little bit about like Aino's favorite, her home turf, um, KDM. How um, about that? Yeah. Do you wanna um KT not specifically KTM, I'm not Austrian, but um <laughs> one of their teams is Finnish. But um compared to Vale's team and kind of how we closed it off. Um, is very family oriented and then you come to KTM side and I think if you're someone coming from F1 and just tuning into MotoGP I think the KTM Academy is something you'll understand a bit better it's very much more like work oriented it's like who's the best rider gets the seats it's very much business focused and I think we saw that for example with Raul Fernandez, who had requested to say to stay at least for another year in the Moto2 class, but KTM felt like it was his time to move up. So they moved him up nonetheless, um, even though it was against his wishes. And they're very differently operating. And they're also, I think all of them are Red Bull run athletes. Oh, it's, yeah. Could be. Um, the thing, like, the, the word that pops into my mind whenever I hear KDM, like, not Academy, but the KDM, like, talent system, it's very cutthroat. If you don't deliver, you're up. And even if you are a rookie and deliver as a rookie should, like, not overly, like, great but solid you are like I don't know how to explain but cutthroat is like the word I connect with KDM the most especially with Ayo I think it's less of uh, decisions based on emotions more of really what's there on paper and it's kind of understandable at the same time we do know that some people take their time to develop and then be incredible riders and win championships do their thing and it's not really giving them the opportunity to do that at the same yeah of course they do have to make decisions money decisions riders decisions so yeah not the easiest ones to take i think was at the austin <laughs> Uh, sorry i think at the austrian gp they had interviewed um pedro acosta and augusto fernandez on their relationship with ayo um and they were like it's not a very familiar like environment um it's just very much like very professional and very very cutthroat um in a sense that you have to know what you want and you have to know where your weaknesses and strengths lie or you won't succeed in the IO team because they basically only work with you if you are tough enough to know where you're at. That might just be an assumption, but it feels like that's a bit of the Finnish way to go. I think if you're comparing, that that might be really stereotyping, but if you're looking at how 
Spanish people are perceived and how Finnish people are perceived, there is yeah. a big difference in how people act. And I also believe that that might be, yeah, not be this, uh, not be a disadvantage in general, but it's just there needs to be more open communication about things like that to work. Yeah, definitely. Because I I was taken by shock because what I would have said is like KTM is very cutthroat. You look at how they're treating Remy and Raul both right now, but like I would have not compared. Like I would have said that Ayo is almost the opposite of that because you look at how they're supporting Home and stuff like that, even with all of his struggles and stuff. But I, because every interview I I've and like I think it's what Anik said it could be just the finish way because I don't see like anything like not normal with what you said yeah. and it, I think it's just a cultural like difference there because obviously I come to you guys with a, a lot of the times if like I see like more southern European people like do something that's normal in their culture and I'm like what is happening um yeah I, but I every say- time I've seen or yes I've definitely seen this but I've heard Ayo talk about his writers I think from his side it almost seems very warm and he always like talks about them in like such a warm way and like almost like a proud dad way like in one interview he's talked about like both Marquez and Acosta and he was like talking like how he's like the type of like he's very proud of them and he's so happy to see them succeed and stuff like that so I think it probably is half intentionally and unintentionally a very like a professional relationship yeah like that's something we don't see a lot of in the interviews I've seen um that like in the IU universe um (laughs) they were very much like just the writers or talking about how the team works etc so I haven't heard a lot of them talk about their writers in such a way it was always like a very professional interview so I think it's probably both are true um they just coexist so they're probably warm in the personal relationships but like very very strict in um the way they treat their jobs and I think it's fair because I use definitely the team succeeding the most so it works it definitely works it's a working system and I wouldn't change it yeah the way they operate in terms of cutthroatness is that a word um it's like Red Bull F1 team as soon as they're not happy with the performance but then if you're looking at a team's perspective you want your riders to perform and you don't want to keep someone who's not consistently performing for you. However, um, with Raul Fernandez, I think he definitely should have been given, he should have been allowed to choose where he wanted to go. Like, if he wanted to stay in Moto2, he should have been allowed to. And um, in MotoGP, I don't think he's had a fair chance at showing his talent because he's had the injuries is it multiple but yeah yeah I mean 
we can talk about the KTM IO team for the entire night, but at the same time, this is not where the problems in KTM lie. KTM has an incredible sense of finding new young talents that have just so much potential to do amazing stuff in this category. And at the same time, they do have great Moto3 and Moto2 teams, but the problem lies in the MotoGP category because they do have the factory team where they have Brett Binder and Miguel Oliveira who have been with the team since 2015. It worked for them, but at the same time, for the new guys, the ones in the likes of Pedro Acosta, Remy Garner, Raul Fernandez, and also I need to mention him, Igalin Corona, of course, um, that you only have the Tag 3 team to for them to move. And with the bike, it's just not working. They can't perform on this bike. And it doesn't matter who you're putting on this bike. It's just not working. Still, the riders, once they are up there, they don't get the chance to prove themselves, really. They will just get like switched out for a new one. And I don't see the point in having such good talent scouting skills, building up young riders, putting money and time in them just for them to let their careers fade away once they've reached MotoGP. And that's where I see the biggest problem with the team. That's um, the like the beef I have with KDM because... <laughs> They have so much talent at their hands. Literally, they have probably the best like pool of young riders to choose from. And somehow they managed to ruin their MotoGP careers with their bikes. Like this might sound incredibly harsh and KDM, I'm so sorry, but switching out the riders on your Tech 3 team won't change a thing if you don't change your bike because I don't I don't think that Remy and Raul are bad riders even if Raul wanted to stay in Moto2 for another year they are good riders um, and obviously they didn't perform as KEM might have wished that they did but I I don't think that switching them out for, I don't know, Augusto Fernandez and there are rumors about Miguel Oliveira going to uh, Tech 3, it won't change a thing, will it? I, like, if they don't work on the bike? I just don't understand their, like, the point they're trying to make because yeah, being, part, being part of Moto3 and Moto2, especially if you have a MotoGP team, or even two MotoGP teams, it's to keep the best talent for yourself, finding them early yeah. and giving them the best opportunities. But at the time, they're just not doing it. And even though riders might leave you, you shouldn't just kick them out because you made a mistake when the way yeah. you went with developing a bike. You should, like, we had the situation with Ika Laguna. He didn't get the time he needed. And we see, we're seeing now once again that he is a good rider. To, if you're looking at how he's how well he's doing in his first season in Superbikes, that's not the point I'm trying to make right now about Ika Laguna, even though I love talking about him. But also with Remy Garner, 
uh, Raul Fernandez, there are rumors of Remy going also to World Superbikes. There are rumors of Raul leaving are. KTM. And I think it's the best decision they could make because this, like, personally, okay, this might sound a bit contradicting, but personally, for them, I think it's a good situation if they have the opportunity to get a new seat. But I don't see why KTM would. But especially in Remy, they put so much time in him. They had him yeah. so long on Mo- in Moto2 in a team where his performances were hmm, some, I mean, his fir- he, he took his time until he got really comfortable with the bike. And why are you not giving him the chance after one year in MotoGP to show what he's actually capable of? Because it was obvious that it wouldn't work with a lineup with two rookies. It didn't work last year with Ike Laguna, who was really young, and Donito Petrucci, who had so much experience, and they could both out, and yeah, I just don't understand what they are doing, especially with the Tech 3 team. The factory team is fine. I well, understand they what started they're doing. Out, they started out doing pretty well this season, and then they just fell off again. I, I, think, I don't know what to say about it. I think the issue with Tektura lies most in the fact that I feel like KTM blames the riders when yeah, they should maybe. be looking at the bike. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like, I think every one of us, us has said it at this point. It's like, no matter who you put on the bike, it's still a shit bike. Like, you're not going to make the bike better by just switching the rider. You need to develop it and you need to listen listen to your riders and give them a chance on a proper bike. If I'm Augusto Fernandez or Pedro Acosta right now, I look look at the KDM Constellation and MotoGP and I see it as like bittersweet sweet because you could have the chance to move into MotoGP however bitter because it's the KDM system and if you don't perform like extraordinarily in your first year there you are going to be kicked out and how do you find a way back in like if I look at that from their perspective I'd be like the same thing that happened to Iker Leguna, Remy Gardner, Raul Fernandez. I'm just saying I don't think they will stay in MotoGP, those two. I look at them and I'd go like, this could be my fate. And do I want that? Probably not. Yeah, and even I think it's ridiculous because I also kind of agree with the statement that Raul might not be staying in MotoGP. And it's like, would he like would have he performed better if he had stayed that that another year in Moto 2 and at that point it's just KTM's fault and it's like you're you're literally shooting yourself in your own leg I don't know what the like acronym thing is in like English but in Finnish it's like you're shooting your own leg like why are you destroying your own writers like I'm not biggest like Raul's biggest fan and I think everyone knows that but I'm like her for him I'm like getting so pissed off about this because you like what Raul, no Raul was never given a fair chance in MotoGP to be honest he went there there were 
there was already very much controversy around him with comments he made himself, with comments the team made before he even joined the MotoGP team and the decisions the team made for him. And you can't expect a rider who has done incredibly well in his Moto2 rookie season to become runner-up. But you can't expect him, if he says himself he needs more experience in this class before he is fit to move up, to just move him up early. I mean, that was a premature decision which could have just gone badly, especially if you don't have a good uh, a good enough bike to back your decision up. This, this was just doomed to fail and it did fail for him which is very difficult to see because this is the dream for these guys they want like their entire lives they're just working up to move up to MotoGP have an incredible career there and the works the millions of or hundreds of thousands of hours of work they put in to that dream just to be to end it like that is just very heartbreaking to me, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. At the end of the day, all they're doing is wasting their own money, putting time and money into these riders, getting them to know OGP, and then just going, well, you're not performing good enough. How much money must they have wasted by now, mm-hmm. you know, getting these riders and then just leaving them? They're not going the full way. Like, I think if you're gonna like, if you're gonna have teams in the lower classes and want to support them all the way through, why is it just ending at MotoGP? But as I know said, they're shooting themselves, I would say in the foot. Yeah. But like, but yeah. it's the same thing. I don't understand it. Like KDM is such a riddle to me. It is. Uh, I I think on one hand they are doing a great job of finding talent and putting them yeah. through the lower classes. But once it's like the serious stuff begins, it's not really working out for them, and that is really disheartening to see. But I think we ranted long enough over how badly KTM is managing a couple of things. We should move on to a different. Rider Academy, I wouldn't necessarily say Rider Academy, but there are some, uh, yeah, getting to see it, you do have to fill some requirements, I would say, like that. And that's, of course, the Honda Idemitsu seat, which is currently still being used, no, still being held by uh, Takanakagami, who has been with the Honda Team Asia f- uh, since 2014, and then of course he moved up to the LCR team afterwards. Um, of- Honda has is of course an Asian factory. It's very much. I wouldn't say it's solely concentrating on that but the Honda Team Asia is of course more specific for to push Asian talents which I do really like I I'm not necessarily a big fan of um, academies or teams that only support one nation one continent but at the same time I do understand it in this case because the motorcycle world, the motorcycle um, categories, they are also Eurocentric. 
that it's difficult for them to get even in touch with the team. So this is a nice way to introduce more Asian riders into the series. It does make sense to me in that way and also in like a commercial way, because if you have more Asian riders on the grids, you obviously can market MotoGP or Moto2, Moto3 a lot better in Asia if there are riders from there. Um, locals can support. Um, so it, it, it does make sense in a way. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah. Go on, I know. Yeah, and like Jules said, like it's good for promotion as well. I mean, MotoGP is huge in countries like Malaysia and Indonesia and pretty much everywhere. But also, like Annex said, I think it's a good opportunity because it's very also Eurocentric, but not only that, it's very focused on Italian and Spanish riders. But like... You can see a lot of discrimination also in the motorsport world towards Asian people or people of any other race. Um, so I think it's good that they're given given a more like fair opportunity. And the thing I find the most confusing is I see the same people that complain about this particular Honda seat being like, why is it only that? Asians can ride in the seat they the same people aren't compare like complaining about the fact that Wallace Academy has only Italian riders so like it's a bit of like well that's yeah. just a double standard also I mean it is pretty obvious uh, why Asia or an Asian rider is preferred for the Honda Idemitsu seat and that's because of sponsorships um, we've seen it with people like for to make F1 comparisons, Alex Albon, who has the double nationality, who leaned more into Thai sponsors due to his heritage, then of course uh, Guan Yu Zhou, who got his seat, um, also with a lot of backing of uh, Chinese investors, which is also it's good to have more representation of different colors, different nationalities, different like everything. Um, it's just, you just don't need to, uh, well, you should just focus on, are these people talented enough? And I do believe that the people they have right now, we have Nakagami uh, in MotoGP. Then we have, of course, Ogura and Chantra in uh, Moto2 and Mario Aji and Tayo Furusato in Moto3. And especially Ayogura and Somkat Chandra, they have so much potential to go to MotoGP and do a good job there. Especially Ayogura, there's not one race review that I can do without just talking about this guy in the highest way possible because he's just so focused, he's so clean in his racing, and he's doing a great job. I it is difficult for me to say. I don't want to see it, but at the same time, I know it's a necessary evil that has to happen. That I think Taka had his chance and is mm. should slowly maybe find a different career path. Because I do believe that if he goes to World Superbikes, he could do incredible there. And I want to see him on the podium. I don't want to see him trail behind just fighting for the last point available that's 
not what he deserves. He deserves a good career with a loads of highs. And that's not what I'm seeing right now for him. The only issue that the Honda Edimitsu seat has is that it there's only one available. So you might have two people in Moto3, two people in Moto GP, uh, in Moto2. At the same time, you have only one seat in MotoGP at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a bit of a shame, I think. Um, however, with how the Asian riders perform and how incredibly hardworking they are, I, I don't know. I think I just think. They have a very, very special mindset and work ethic that just stands out. You already mentioned Ayura. Um, he's just incredible. Like his mental game, insane. With how they perform, I could see another team take on one of them. Definitely. I just uh, need to point something out and we can cut this out because that might be a bit controversial. But I feel like you're frozen. Um, okay, I need something to point out, and this might be a bit controversial, so I don't mind if it's cut out. But I am not happy about how people are talking about uh, Honda in general. Uh, about uh, people are talking about the entire Honda conflict in general because it's multiple times where I heard that people are blaming. Um, the bike being bad and the team not really working because of the Asian side of the team because they don't know how to assimilate to a European mindset and that's why the team doesn't work and I think that's just super unfair because KTM the bikes are also not working and that's an Austrian team and I'm not happy about that because just saying like oh yeah um people like all the honda higher ups that are asian it's half asian half european i think um that they cannot work out because the asians their honestly doesn't fit it i've honestly never heard this and i think you're right this is completely unfair um that's just a weird point to make in my opinion i mean it's obvious that something within the team's doesn't work but I, th- I i don't think there's one party to blame it's just but they went wrong somewhere and they didn't catch yeah. it soon enough but the same is said about yamaha really? uh, also yeah but the, then there's nothing said about ktm because ktm is a european factory but at the same time they all have the same problem so I don't see why it's for two teams. It's uh, it's the fault of the Asians, but for KTM, it's just just KTM things or whatever. I don't know. That's yeah. just like I don't know okay. bullshit because it's a bit racist. Ex- I was just about to say that, and also like how I said about the fact that a lot of people complain about like, oh, why do they have one seat that only the Asians can get? Like. Well, look at Valor's Academy. I don't see you complaining about that. Yeah. I just took a very non-fun turn <laughs> right now. But, yeah. I... Um, I think we wrap this up right here. We've talked about the most important academy, the VR46. We've talked about KDM. 
talked about Honda, Idomitsu. If you want us, like, just tell us in our Twitter or Instagram comments um, if there's something you want to add or something that we should talk about in another podcast episode. Other than that, I'd say thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. Our ad is at the Siding Lab. Um, you can also find us obviously on Spotify and on Facebook and on TikTok. Make sure to check out our TikTok. Um, we'll see you guys next week and I hope you had fun listening. <laughs>